Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. There are things that go bump in the night, and we are the ones who bump back. Somewhere in the cosmos, perhaps, intelligent life may be watching these lights of ours, aware of what they mean. Or do our lights wander a lifeless cosmos? I couldn't help at one point in our discussions with General Secretary Gorbachev. I couldn't help but say to him, just think how easy his task and mine might be in these meetings that we held. If suddenly there was a threat to this world from another planet outside in the universe, well, I don't suppose we can wait for some alien race to come down and threaten us, but I think that between us we can bring about that realization. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to another episode of Cryptique, where Ryan and I discuss topics from the paranormal, hidden history, forbidden knowledge, conspiracy theories, and even folklore from time to time. You can email case suggestions to crypticpodcast at gmail.com, and tonight's episode was suggested by Kelly all the way from Bristol in the UK. Kelly wrote that she dreams about birds, all kinds of birds, all the time. We'll have to find out what that's all about. Thanks, Kelly. Ryan has had tonight's topic on his mind as well, right? I have. Right. A big hello to all the Crypt Keepers abroad in the UK, Australia, and throughout Europe. Ryan and I need a favor. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and write a review as it will help Cryptique to pop up in searches on podcast platforms. We also each have another podcast you might enjoy in addition to Cryptique. Ryan is a co-host on the podcast Movie Howl, where he and his co-host Joe discuss and review movies. They discuss movies of the past and present and could help you find your next favorite movie or a flop to avoid. Movie Howl is available everywhere you find Cryptique. Exploring Evil is my true crime podcast where I discuss cases of eccentric serial killers and murders with a paranormal twist. I just put out an episode about the silent lady, a killer whose secret identity mingled with her unimaginable murderous spree in Mexico City. You'll have to listen to find out how. You can find Exploring Evil everywhere you find Cryptique. And with that, what are we talking about tonight, Ryan? We are talking about lucid dreaming. A lucid dream is a type of dream where the dreamer becomes aware that they are dreaming. During a lucid dream, the dreamer may gain some amount of control over the dream character's narrative or environment. However, this is not actually necessary for the dream to be described as lucid. Lucid dreaming has been studied and reported for many years. Prominent figures from ancient to modern times have been fascinated by lucid dreams and have sought ways to better understand their causes and purpose. Many different theories have emerged as a result of scientific research on the subject and have even been shown in pop culture. Further developments in psychological research have pointed to ways in which this form of dreaming may be utilized as a form of sleep therapy. So how do lucid dreams work? 
Lucid dreaming has been studied extensively, but much is still unknown about the phenomenon. Some researchers believe activity in the prefrontal cortex of the brain is related to the development of lucid dreams. During non-lucid dreams, people are cognizant of objects and events within the dream state, but they are not aware of the dream itself and cannot distinguish being asleep from being awake. This has been attributed in part to lower levels of cortical activity. Lucid dreams are different because sleepers are aware they are dreaming and, in some cases, can exert control over their surroundings. Some studies have linked these characteristics to elevated cortical activity. In sleepers who have been observed during lucid dream studies, prefrontal cortex activity levels, while they are engaged in lucid dreaming, are comparable to levels when they are awake. For this reason, lucid dreaming may be referred to as hybrid sleep wake state. While normal dreams can occur during different stages of the sleep cycle, studies have shown most lucid dreaming takes place during the rapid eye movement sleep. REM sleep constitutes the fourth and final stage of a normal sleep cycle. The first three stages consist of non-rapid eye movement sleep. The general consensus among researchers today is that lucid dreams originate from non-lucid dreams during the REM sleep stage. In this sense, lucidity has an aspect of dreams that can be triggered using different means. Okay, so that's something I didn't know when I was doing the research for this show is that a lucid dream can also just mean that you're aware that you're dreaming. I always thought that it meant that you took control of your dream in some aspect. I did too, yeah. Because I've I've never had what I would consider a lucid dream. It's something I've wanted to have. I have been in dreams where I was fairly certain it was a dream, like 95% sure, but not quite sure enough to like do whatever I wanted to do and just like let loose. You know what I mean? Yeah. And didn't you also say that you had actually experienced pain in a dream? I have. Yeah. I've had a couple dreams that I thought were real. And when I woke up, I was very confused because yeah, I've had probably four or five dreams where I've been able to feel pain. Yeah. Particularly during school, I'll dream that I'm like got into a fight with somebody or I don't know. In one, I was bitten by a dog or something like that and I could actually feel it. And I just assumed it actually happened. And then I woke up and I was very disoriented because it's like, Oh, that seems like a dream, but I, I remember feeling it, but I don't have like any marks. There's no bite. There's no, you know, I don't have a black eye. And I've had lucid dreams before, uh, some that I can take control in, uh, uh, but not total control, but that I have kind of a say in what I do, but I don't feel like it's 100% my decision, if that makes sense. So we'll go over the uh, sleep stages. Uh, Just real quick, most of you guys probably are aware of these. You've studied them in high school. And so... The first stage of the sleep cycle is a transition period between wakefulness and sleep. If you awaken someone during this stage, they might report that they were not really asleep. Your brain slows down, your heartbeat, your eye movements, and your breathing slows with it. Your body relaxes, and your muscles may twitch. I have had that happen before. It's usually my eyelid. 
This brief period of sleep lasts for around five to 10 minutes. So I think we've all had that experience where someone will, well, I'll just tell you about my experience. My wife and I will be watching a show and she'll say, do you want me to pause it and we can come back to it tomorrow? And I'll say, no, I was watching it. And she'll be like, what happened? And I have no idea. She'll be like, yeah, and you were snoring. So <laughs> busted. Yeah. I don't know that I do that, but I know my parents do that. I've gone to visit my folks and I'll be sitting there talking to them and just my mom who's had going through all of this research you know, it, my mom has a lot of sleep problems, so I'm kind of curious to talk to her about some of this and maybe try to convince her again to go see a doctor. But she naps a lot during the day because she doesn't sleep well at night. But yeah, I've had times where I'm sitting in one chair, she's sitting in another, and just as I'm talking to her, I just watch her head drop. I'm like, you're asleep now. And she'll just like pop back up. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. Heads down, mouth open. What are you? <laughs> yeah. Well, that could mean a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I've had probably the weirdest one when I was a kid, I fell asleep during, uh, I don't know, some TV show that I was watching, but I didn't know I was asleep. All I knew was I didn't know what was going on anymore. And I looked at the clock and it was like 20 minutes later. Hmm. That's, I don't know. That seems like that would cause a little bit of anxiety. Well, I, my parents were also in the room. I mean, I was a little kid, so we were all in the living room and I was like, what happened? Like, where'd this guy go? They're like, what do you mean? Like that scene ended, you know, you've been asleep. You've been sans ease over there for 20 minutes. Like, oh, okay. I had no idea. All right. Non-REM stage two. According to the American Sleep Foundation, people spend approximately 50% of their total sleep time during non-REM stage two, which lasts for about 20 minutes per cycle. Um, I do not wear a Fitbit anymore. Uh, just because I, there's, you know, no conspiracy behind it or anything, but, um, I did find it helpful that you could look and I'm sure the, uh, Apple watches and other things are the same where you can check your sleep cycle. I found that my sleep cycle was, it, it was all over the place. It would go from REM to non REM back and forth, different stages. I mean, probably 15 different times per hmm. night. I have had, I had an Apple watch. Okay. I had a pebble way back and then I had an Apple watch and then I had a tick watch when I went back to Android for a while. And then I had another Apple watch recently. And I told you a while ago, just when we were chatting outside the show that I got rid of that, you know, just quit wearing it because I didn't do anything with the data. You know, I didn't know how to interpret it. I wore it a couple times and it looked like my sleep schedule or my sleep cycles were okay. You know, it didn't show anything concerning, but I find some of that health tracking information that it gives a little overwhelming. You know, I'm not really sure what to do with it. Yeah. Um, I track my calories. Right. I track my kind of nutrition. Um, and when the Apple watch stuff is automatically factored in. It removes calories. So it looks like you can eat more because you really probably can, but I just don't like that. I just, it's like, just let me track my stuff. I know I could just remove it, you know, and simplify things myself, but I've gone back to just wearing a normal watch when I wear one. I've got, I used to be really into watches. I find them really interesting, particularly older mechanical ones. Cause they're so, 
I guess sort of tied to a time and kind of a, an aesthetic that whoever originally owned it would have had or whoever made it was going for. You know, it's like when I see, you know, my grandpa's antique boulevard that I still have that I took and got fixed and restored. And I, I don't really wear it very often, but I'll wind it to make sure it still runs and everything. You know, it's just fascinating to be like, okay, why did they go with this design? It looks so different from nowadays. You know, it's a much smaller face. It's square instead of round. It's just odd. And I find them really interesting for all of the little sort of nuanced differences between them. So I started wearing those again. I did try to track my sleep and figure out my snoring issue because I definitely snore. I've been informed about that by friends when we've gone on like camping trips and things like that. So I tried to use um, mm -hmm. Snorlab, I think it was called. And it's supposed to record your snoring. <laughs> and then it can kind of show you here are the points where you were snoring and weren't snoring. And, you know, combined with other things like a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or whatever, you can kind of figure out what you were doing at that time that made you stop or made you do it. So you can avoid it. And I ran it two or three nights in a row. And it was when I played back the audio and looked at the waveform for it, it was just like eight solid hours of snoring. <laughs> I basically never did anything but the whole night. And I just it's like, well, great. Now I have a gig and a half of me snoring. And it's really funny, but it's not really useful. <laughs> yeah. All right. So during stage two, you become less aware of your surroundings your body temperature drops, your eye movements stop, your breathing and heart rate become more regular. The brain also begins to produce bursts of rapid rhythmic brainwave activity, which are known as sleep spindles. They are thought to be a feature of memory consolidation when your brain gathers, processes, and filters new memories you acquired during the previous day. So it's kind of like, I picture it as like when you would defrag your hard drive or mm. whatever back in the day yeah that's a and you would see that's a great way to put it I bet. like that that makes a ton of sense for me i wonder if there are other people listening who are like oh yeah that makes a lot of sense now i mean that's just what i picture yeah that made it click because you know, it's like that sounds familiar like i know there's some analog to it in the computer world but yeah it's that and sleep is you know a lot of people just consider sleep as rest for the body, but it's extremely important for your mind too. And, you know, that's why we see people that have been sleep deprived, you know, even for just a couple days, you know, they start to hallucinate and stuff like that. I mean, on the extreme end, but you have a lot of problems psychologically if you don't get enough sleep. Yeah. I used to regularly go without sleep for a day or two, like particularly when I was in sort of late high school, early college. And then again, when I was in grad school and working full time, because you can choose school and work, friends and sleep. You can only keep two of those. Like those are your options. So there were some nights where it's like, all right, I'm just, I'm just not sleeping tonight. I can't sleep tonight. I have papers due tomorrow and I have work after that, you know, just not going to work out for me. And I definitely know that it's not good for you. You start kind of 
I mean, I don't know if I ever had any kind of hallucinations, but I definitely, my reactions were very slowed and kind of dull. My perception was kind of slow. It was almost like um, my vision, it would kind of ghost like an old LCD screen. You know, not good. When I started seeing that, it's like, all right, I, I have to like find some way to take a nap right now. Yeah, absolutely. During non-REM stage three sleep, your muscles are completely relaxed, your blood pressure drops and breathing slows, you progress into your deepest sleep. It is during this deep sleep stage that your body starts its physical repairs. Meanwhile, your brain consolidates declarative memories, for example, general knowledge, facts or statistics, personal experiences, and other things you have learned. So from this, I'm getting that you want to be in stage three for probably most of your sleep cycle. Yeah, probably those weirdos that can sleep five hours a night and be fine go right into this right away. I'm jealous. I'm jealous of those weirdos. <laughs> All right. REM sleep. While your brain is aroused with mental activities during REM sleep, the fourth sleep stage, your voluntary muscles become immobilized. It's in this stage that your brain's activity most closely resembles its activity during waking hours. So, however your body is temporarily paralyzed, a good thing is it prevents you from acting out your dreams. I have definitely had dreams where I would have gotten terribly injured if I was able to act them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. I think there's something wrong with my fiance's uh, system, whatever it is that's supposed to temporarily paralyze her. Because mm -hmm. there have been many nights where I hear her talking. I'll wake up and she's kind of like mumbling or talking. I'm like, what's going on? And one night in particular, I remember it was one of the first nights she really did this. But she was kind of talking and she was like, oh, she's trying to get to the moon. I was like, what? She was like, they, she thinks she can build a rocket and get to the moon. I was like, are you sleep talking? And she just kind of mumbled and then she rolled over. Like face to face with me. And she was real quiet for a minute. And then she yelled, damn, really loud <laughs> and scared the hell out of me. It's like the loudest thing she's ever yelled and oh. Oh, that's hilarious. and then she just kind of like went mm, and kind of rolled around a little bit and then rolled away from me and so i well maybe the rocket <laughs> did make it to the moon and that's why she was so excited yeah i no longer engage with her if she starts talking and if i'm pretty sure she's asleep i don't talk to her but she does move around a lot and she mumbles a lot and talks and we actually were dog sitting right now for some people and one of the dogs is a little dachshund and she constantly like runs in her sleep. Sometimes it's tough to tell yeah. if she's actually asleep or not, but then her legs will start kicking and it constantly happens. I don't like, I have yet to see her sleep where she doesn't do something like that. So that kind of makes me wonder. Yeah. I love watching dogs. Yeah, I, I wonder if maybe there's something different about the way their bodies work. Cause dogs seem to do it way more often than people, but just something interesting well, to lined up with this. They might not dream as often as people either. Mm, so, that's true. You know, once once a week maybe or something like that. But when you see them, you know, their brain's not as developed. So maybe they don't have as high quality system to immobilize them when they're dreaming. Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe that's an advanced 
brain function that we have that they don't. Yeah, yeah. So, but it is hilarious to watch them laying on their sides and they look like they're dog paddling. <laughs> Cracks me up. Yeah. Well, during REM sleep, it starts about 90 minutes after falling asleep. And when you're in REM sleep, your brain lights up with activity. Your body is relaxed and immobilized. Your breathing is faster and irregular. Your eyes move rapidly, of course. That's why it's called rapid eye movement sleep. And what else? You dream. You dream. Like stage three, memory consolidation also happens during REM sleep. It is thought that REM sleep is when emotions and emotional memories are processed and stored. Your brain also uses this time to cement information into memory, making it an important stage for learning. But what can interrupt your cycle? Interrupted sleep is the term used to describe sleep that is not continuous throughout the night. When this happens, your sleep cycle can be disrupted. An in-progress sleep stage may be cut short and a cycle may repeat before finishing. There are a number of issues that can interrupt your sleep cycles. Depending on which one is at play, this may happen occasionally or on a chronic basis. Some factors that are associated with interrupted sleep and therefore may affect your sleep stages include nocturia, frequently waking up with a need to urinate, sleep disorders including sleep apnea and restless leg syndrome, which I definitely have restless legs. Not every night, yeah, but I've definitely got them. I have them every once in a while and it's awful. I get them the worst on road trips. Yeah. So, where you've been sitting in the same position for a long time and in the car, in the plane. Well, I guess in the car. Yeah. I, I've, I guess I've never really gotten it on a plane now that I'm thinking about it. Hmm. I've never gotten motion sick on a plane either from reading. Hmm. Maybe we need a medical podcast too. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> or as long as we say disclaimers for yeah, everything. Yeah. We're not doctors. <laughs> so, Pain, uh, difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep due to acute or chronic pain conditions like fibromyalgia, mood disorders such as depression and bipolar disorder, other health conditions including Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, obesity, heart disease, and asthma, lifestyle habits like little or no exercise, cigarette smoking, excessive caffeine intake, or excessive alcohol use. Anytime you have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep at night, your sleep cycle is affected. And I think that that's interesting about alcohol because you really, I don't know, most people, you know, when they drink, it's easier for them to go to sleep or they drink until they fall asleep. And, you know, a lot of times they sleep late the next day, but it's actually bad for you as far as uh, your sleep cycles go. You know, it just seemed... You know, when I used to drink that, oh, if I have a few beers, it gets me tired. I go to sleep. But I didn't realize that it wasn't the quality sleep that it felt like. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Yeah. A friend of mine who worked in a lab we talked about before the show, she did a lot of testing on like the effects of different kinds of foods and drinks on different types of animals. Mm hmm. Um, and she was telling me that something that they had learned in some of her schooling was that a big part of the reason why your sleep isn't good when you have a lot of alcohol in your system is that your body is putting a lot of energy into metabolizing that alcohol uh, rather than doing the stuff it needs to be doing. Like it's kind of alcohol is essentially poison. Yeah. Like that's why you feel like you've been poisoned if you drink too much. And then, you know, the next day 
because you yeah. kind of have been. So your body's trying to filter all that out. So yeah, you're you're getting you know it's almost as though you slept maybe half as long, mm-hmm. depending on how much you drank. I mean sometimes, you know who knows. I know people who said that they woke up still drunk the next day. Oh yeah, that, that was back in college. Yeah, not me. But yeah, that's that's apparently what it is because your body's still busy trying to get rid of that. That makes sense. You know, your your mind is using that processing power on something else. And if it's processing poison, it may take a lot of brain activity to, you know, do it safely. Yeah. Or it's just maybe not going into the sort of healing mode that, that we talked about. And it's, yeah. And not storing up those memories and doing all the other sort of maintenance activities that it's supposed to be doing at night. Makes sense. According to the Sleep Foundation, during lucid dreams, the sleeper is aware of a dream taking place, but will not leave the dream state. And, you know, I don't have nightmares. I've never, well, I don't have bad nightmares. We'll talk about the alligators coming after me later, but um, (laughs) I've, I, I don't remember ever being in a dream where it occurred to me that I, even when I was aware that it was a dream, that it occurred to me like, oh, I want to get out of this. I need to stop this. Yeah, yeah. I've never had the thought to try to control the dream, even when I've been pretty sure. You know, it's it's like, I imagine it's like being Neo mm-hmm. in the original Matrix when he realizes, like, you know, sort of the mm-hmm. nature of things and gains all that control. It's like I've never had my Neo yeah. moment. Yeah, and I've had semi-lucid dreams and dreams that, you know, people would define as lucid, but I've never wanted to not dream when I realized I was dreaming. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like I said, it, it never occurred to me that I could, but I've never wanted to. Hmm. Some further define these phenomena as dreams in which the sleeper can exercise control over different aspects of their environment. Though studies have found this is not always the case and that certain people are more predisposed to, quote, lucid dream control than others. And I've had dreams where I can control parts of the dream, and maybe that's, you know, the best you can hope for. But most of the time for me, it's when I'm running in a dream. I can control where I want to run to. And like if I have to hop a fence or, you know, climb up on something, I can it feels like I consciously control that. And, you know, that's what my dream avatar does. I, I always have control over what I'm doing, but my dreams are never realistic. They're never like, nor well, I shouldn't say never. They're very rarely normal everyday scenarios. Mm -hmm. You know, usually it's, like like the closest I don't really have nightmares either, but this recurring thing that I would have is basically I would see like the Jumanji spiders. Mm-hmm. Like those would be kind of coming after me. And for whatever reason. During one of these dreams, I dreamt I was at Jamestown Mall in Florissant, which both you and I know. Yes. <laughs> and those things just started like coming up around the ceiling and all this stuff. And I was in an area that had an escalator 
and I started to run up the escalator and I was like trying to, I guess, jump more than one stair at a time. Mm -hmm. And I just like kind of catapulted up and like out of the building. Cool. And from there, I just kind of like jumped from like place to place. Like I landed in a park and then I like landed in a parking lot outside of school or something. But it never occurred to me like this is unusual. Mm-hmm. There's like, oh, cool. This is how things work now. Yeah, like, this is this is fine. This is my life. <laughs> like, that's nice. always how my dreams are. It's like, oh, yeah, my friend Jim is now like a gargoyle. That's a, <laughs> that's just what Jim looks like. You know, everything always seems fine to me, but they're always so bizarre. Uh, a couple nights ago, I have no idea why, but I dreamt and remembered it for the first time in a while. Uh-huh. And what I do you remember the movie Tron? You know, it, I was so young when I saw it. I, I mean, I know, you know what they look like. I don't remember a plot or anything. But... but what they look like is what what's important. Okay. Basically, I was playing some kind of game. It was it was me doing it. And I was in like a Tron like suit. But instead of like the Tron light cycle thing. We were jousting, standing on top of giant tron-style roombas like the vacuum cleaner essentially is what it was yeah like these big sort of puck things that were moving around it was just really really bizarre but it didn't seem out of the ordinary to me because yeah one of the things that comes up in this research is things to kind of help you do a reality check to see if you're in a dream or not you know because there will be inconsistencies well that was an inconsistency and it didn't like nothing triggered like, hey, this is a dream yeah. to me. <laughs> I just went on with this bizarre experience and then went on to the next bizarre experience. I don't know. Maybe my dreams are weird. That'd be something for our listeners to email in about. Like, do your dreams make sense typically? Are you dreaming normal scenarios? Like I almost never have the dream of, you know, going to school or work and not being yeah. prepared for something. But I I have dreams like that. Where like I'm in you know, a Halloween town from Nightmare Before Christmas or something, or I'm, you know, whatever, like there are superheroes around or something completely outlandish. And we'll try and analyze the uh, city-themed dream a little bit later on. Surveys show that roughly 55% of adults have experienced at least one lucid dream during their lifetime, and 23% of people experience lucid dreams at least once per month. Well, one thing I wanted to tell you is, I mean, it sounds to me like you are having lucid dreams. You know what I mean? Like by the old definition that I thought of, it was, you know, controlling everything and kind of having like the Wizard of Oz type power in your dream. But since now I know it's that you're aware that you're dreaming and can control some things. I mean, I I would say you definitely have had lucid dreams. Maybe. I've had some where I've realized, like, yeah, I'm dreaming, but usually I wake up when I realize it. When I'm like, this doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Maybe, maybe this is a dream. Then I'll wake up. Some research has pointed to potential benefits of lucid dreaming, such as treatment for nightmares. However, other studies argue lucid dreams may have a negative impact on mental health because they can disturb sleep and cause dreamers to blur the lines between reality and fantasy just like we do here on Cryptique. Uh-huh. So what do you think? Good or bad or 
Not enough info in yet. Uh, I would think good for the most part. I would think it would be kind of therapeutic to be able to do whatever you want or enter a dream space where, you know, like Thanos, reality can be whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. But probably not good if you can do it so often that you become dependent on it. Yeah. Kind of like it wouldn't be good to you know, just live like in your game room playing GTA five every day because you prefer that world to the real one. Mm -hmm. So I guess like anything. Uh, okay. D did you ever listen to Loveline? Um, I'm sure you did. Everybody has at some was point. Was that Dr. Drew? Yeah. yeah. I was listening to it one night and, you know, it was just something a buddy of mine and I would have on every once in a while when we we're hanging out. Because some of it was pretty funny. But I remember some guy called in and he was worried about addiction. He was worried he was addicted to something. I forget what. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, like, am I addicted? Should I be worried about this? And he said, you know, it's only I don't know if he said it's only addiction. I think that might have been how he put it. Like, it's only addiction if it's getting in the way of the things you have to be doing. Like if you have a video game addiction, if you suspect it's an addiction, it's only really an addiction and a problem when it's interfering with your obligations. Like if you're playing games instead of picking your kids up from school yeah, or instead of going to work or instead of buying groceries or whatever it is you're supposed to do with your day. So I kind of apply that here. It's probably only bad if it's interfering with other aspects of your life because you would prefer to live in that world or or maybe living that way depending on your level of control over your dreams is is giving you kind of an unrealistic expectation of what real life should be like yeah what do you think well it's hard to say because obviously we need to dream so i don't know that a lucid dream would be any more detrimental to your sleep than a regular dream would you know, just going by the uh, quality of sleep point of view, I mean, you know, I agree with your point about it getting in the way of your, your normal life. But, you know, purely speaking from the point of view of it being a physical thing, I don't know how it would be any worse for you than a, a normal dream would be. You know what I mean? Like, does it activate mm -hmm. different uh, parts of your brain while you're sleeping that should be resting? then I could see how it could be a problem. But I don't know. I think that the, it, it's such a, I don't know. It just seems like it would be something that would be extremely hard to study because maybe everybody has had a lucid dream or has lucid dreams and they just don't realize that they're controlling what they're doing in the dream. Um, maybe people are being studied while they're sleeping and they're having a lucid dream, but they don't know it. And then when they wake up, the doctor says, did you have a lucid dream? And they say, no, you know, it, it, I don't know. It's just something that's, there's too many variables in it. I think to have a solid yeah. study on it. Yeah. I can see that. Um, apparently it's been studied extensively, but much is still unknown about the phenomenon. Some researchers believe activity in the prefrontal cortex of the brain is related to the development of lucid dreams. 
During non-lucid dreams, people are cognizant of objects and events within the dream state, but they are not aware of the dream itself and cannot distinguish between being asleep and being awake. This has been attributed in part to lower levels of cortical activity. Lucid dreams are different because sleepers are aware that they're dreaming and in some cases can exert some level of control over their surroundings. And studies have linked these characteristics to an elevated level of cortical activity. In sleepers who have been observed during lucid dream studies, prefrontal cortex activity levels while they are engaged in lucid dreaming are comparable to levels when they are awake. For this reason, lucid dreaming may be referred to as a hybrid sleep-wake state, which I think we talked about a little earlier. Yeah. While normal dreams can occur during different stages of the sleep cycle, studies have shown most lucid dreaming takes place during the REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep. The general consensus among researchers today is that lucid dreams originate from non-lucid dreams during the REM sleep stage. In this sense, lucidity is an aspect of dreams that can be triggered using different means. So how are lucid dreams studied? I mean, it seems like they're kind of clearing up that there's more, like they can actually see more cortical activity during what someone describes as a lucid dream as opposed to what they see in a non-lucid dream. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's much to add to that, for me anyway. How are lucid dreams studied? Spontaneous lucid dreams are rare and difficult to foresee. To study these phenomena, researchers typically induce lucid dreams using different methods. Some of the most common techniques include the following. Reality testing. This technique requires participants to perform tests throughout the day that differentiate sleep and waking. For example, a participant may ask themselves whether or not they are dreaming during the day. Since self-awareness is not possible during non-lucid dreams, being able to answer this question proves they are in fact awake. Reality testing is based on the notion that repeated tests will eventually seep into the participant's dream, allowing them to achieve lucidity and distinguish between the dream state and waking. So I have heard that you wear your watch to sleep. And if you ever look down at your hands and you don't have your watch on, you can tell that you're in a dream because you don't take a material like a watch into a dream with you. That's really interesting. I, I've never thought of anything like that before. I <laughs> I know where this comes from. I've always thought of reading. that You can't read in a dream. But I swear I've read stuff in dreams before. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think of where I heard that. And I realized where it was. It was from an episode of Batman the Animated Series from 1993. <laughs> there's an episode. Heavy where, knowledge in that episode. Yeah. There's an episode where Batman is trapped in like this version of Gotham where he's not Batman anymore and he doesn't understand why and mm-hmm. his parents are alive and he's kind of settling into it. He's like, okay, I guess this is fine. Like, I don't know why things are different, but it seems pretty cool. And then he tries reading something and the words are all jumbled and nothing makes any sense. And then he starts to realize he's in a dream and that's kind of his thing at the end. And like, you know, how did you figure out that you were trapped in this dream world? And he's like, because you can't read in a dream. So I guess as a kid, I just internalized that. And I was like, hey, you can't read in a dream. So I just always assumed that would be my my cue. You know, not the Jumanji spiders or like being able to jump <laughs> 30 meters in the air. That that didn't set me off. Right. It would have been if I couldn't read like the latest issue of Green Arrow or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. 
I wonder, though, if you can read in a lucid dream. Yeah, and where would that come from? There are a lot of stories of people getting information that they shouldn't have through dreams, you know, being given that by something else or somebody else. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if maybe some of this information could be derived from reading something in a lucid dream. You know, maybe that maybe that information is being pulled from someplace else as opposed to being something that your brain comes up with. I would assume that's why yeah. you can't normally read in a dream because your your brain isn't coming up with something to be in that text. Yeah. Well, like if you're, you know, driving down the street and you see a red octagon on the side, you know, it's a stop sign. You don't need to read stop. And I wonder if your brain just says, yeah, I don't even need to put the right letters on there. He'll know it's a stop sign, you know, or your brain just isn't. It's like maybe recognizing the pattern on the things you would read as opposed to the actual text. Well, and because you would interpret a long green sign. Oh, that's a street sign. Yeah. You know, triangular sign that's a yield stuff. And, like that. and also that your brain may not see that as an important part of your dream and therefore might not, I don't know, spend the time to illustrate it perfectly. Like, you know, on old video games, the yeah. main character, you know, was always in focus and, you know, fairly uh, descript, had a lot of features and things like that. But sometimes the background, you'd see the same tree a hundred times in a row because the, you know, the program was like, eh, tree's not that important. I'm not going to waste my computing power on it or whatever. Yeah, exactly. All right. Another technique is mnemonic induction of lucid dreams or mild. This technique involves training oneself to recognize the difference between dreams and reality during sleep. Subjects wake up after a period of sleeping and repeat a variation of the following phrase. Next time I'm asleep, I'll remember I'm dreaming. And I've tried to do that a few times and I honestly don't remember the results. So it couldn't have been that fantastic. But yeah, that one seems a little odd. You know, it could be something that, you know, it doesn't work for a month, but six months in, you start to see results too. Yeah, I guess if you get used to saying it to yourself and then if you end up thinking it in a dream, maybe you realize that's what's happening. I guess that that maybe is the benefit because it seems kind of hokey to think you can just say that to yourself before going to sleep and it'll work. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think you're right. I think it's something that, you know, could eventually help. But I, I think if it worked, everyone would do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I sure would do it if, if I thought it worked. So yeah. researchers will induce lucid dreams using the mild method by waking up subjects after five hours of sleep. So they're not worried about interrupting their sleep cycle. <laughs> the Next technique we'll discuss is wake back to bed. Some people can induce lucid dreams by using this technique, which involves waking up in the middle of the night and then returning to sleep after a certain amount of time has passed. Wake back to bed is often used in conjunction with the mild technique. When these two methods are used together, the most effective length of time between waking up and returning to sleep appears to be 30 to 120 minutes. I don't know. I mean, that's that seems like a lot of time to give up in the middle of your night to try and get a lucid dream. But yeah, that does seem like a lot of time. I 
I don't know. If I'm awake that long, I usually give up on going back mm-hmm. to sleep. <laughs> I part of what I've realized with my own sleep, just trying to kind of get it. I, I used to wake up early and I thought it was because I had to pee mm-hmm. or because I was thirsty or whatever. And what it really was is my body just wants to be awake at 6 a.m. I don't know why. I've never trained it to do this. I didn't tell it to do it. I don't need to wake up at that time anymore. But I do like every day. Mm. So if I wake up and I can't immediately go back to sleep, I just get up and I'll leave Kim in bed. You know, leave the dogs alone and I'll just go, you know, read somewhere, maybe go outside, walk around, like get some fresh air. I'll I'll just do something else for a little while because usually I'm not Mm. up that long before everybody else is up too. So, yeah. Yeah, when I wake up early, I take the recycling to the recycle center. Huh. Gets me out of the house, gives me something to do, and sometimes I'll walk my dog, but usually I save that for the afternoon. Yeah, since we got the dogs right now, if, if like, this morning I woke up and the one, he just kind of looked up at me, and I was like, come on. And he came with <laughs> me, and we, we went outside for a little bit. External stimulation. This technique involves flashing lights and other stimuli that are activated while the subject is in REM sleep. That sounds awful. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seriously. One of the things that I used to wake me up when I was having trouble, and maybe this is what conditioned me to sleep the way I do now. I have uh, LifeX lights, or LifeX, if I don't know how you're really supposed to pronounce it. But they're smart light bulbs and they're really expensive, but they're really, really bright, very colorful. They have a lot of functionality. They work well with Home Assistant. If they want to sponsor us, that'd be great. I really like their products. (laughs) But I used to have a bunch of them because they have this uh, sunrise to sunset mode. Mm -hmm. So they will slow, you know, you've probably seen these like sunrise lamps. Mm -hmm. Like that's what they do. They're meant to simulate a sunrise around whatever time you want to wake up. And I can set these to do that or I can just let them do their own thing. You know, they just kind of mimic whatever the sun is doing outside. It's it's nice to have in like dark parts of the house because at night they're on real dim. During the day, they're pretty bright and they always kind of mimic whatever the color temperature is out. And they would just wake yep. me up really gently. I would just wake up because the lights were on and I would get up and start my day. No irritating iPhone chime or you know, mm-hmm. alarm clock or anything else. I just, okay. Lights are up. The same song waking you up every 15 minutes. Like my life is. <laughs> yeah. See, when they talk about the lights, I picture strobe lights being shine on your face. Mm-hmm. That's what I assume. Trying to sleep. That's what I assume they're talking about. But I think that would just wake me up based on stuff that's happened to me. You know, just, if, if somebody turns on the lights in a room that I'm sleeping in, I just wake up. I don't, yeah. you know, even if it's only for a second. Well, the rationale behind this method is that the sleeper will incorporate this stimuli into their dreams, triggering lucidity in the process. I don't know. I still don't want that done. I'd rather just not have lucid dreams than have somebody shining a strobe light on my face while I'm sleeping. <laughs> I've woken myself up by, uh, let's say, incorporating outside stimuli into my dream. I woke up because I heard what sounded like somebody violently tearing the bed sheets, like this ripping noise, this loud, loud ripping noise. And I woke up and I realized it was me. I was snoring. <laughs> I was snoring very, very loudly. 
<laughs> and that noise became part of my dream. And in my dream, I'm like, what is that? <laughs> you want to know about outside stimuli. Uh, when I was a bachelor, my dog back then, um, you know, he slept in my bed with me and he farted. That stunk so bad one time that the smell woke me up. Man, that's rough, man. That's a bad way to wake up. I'm telling you, I was still in kind of a daze and I was like, oh my gosh, is there a dead animal in here? I looked over, he slept through it just fine. Yeah. Am I dying? Is this mustard gas? You would think it would wake him up too, since they can smell so much better, but woke me up, man. Yeah. I think that's a conspiracy. You know, we should do an episode about that. Farts waking people up. Nah, dogs smell 600 times better than humans. BS. You don't think so? 600 times is a lot. My, no. I think that's what I, I, I heard recently. I think I watched something on Discovery Channel. No, you're, you're probably right. That's, that's probably, you know, what science says, but that's, that's pretty strong. But my dog's nose has to touch my neighbor's dog's anus to be able to smell it. No, I don't believe that. That's a good point. You can smell that from, you can smell that from a yard away at least. There's no, there's no need to touch. Maybe it's just a, just a fetish. <laughs> they all do it. It's just a shared fetish. It's like just how we say hello, man. Yeah, I mean like you don't you don't have to be able to smell that great to smell when the car in front of you is smoking weed. You know what I mean? Mm. So six hundred really times just, is a lot. Yeah. Just speaking of smells, it's I cannot remember I remember going to Steak and Shake and places like that, like like just a sit down restaurant where they would say smoking or not mm-hmm. when you walk in, right? Mm-hmm. I ca- I cannot even imagine what that would be like now. Yeah, smoking has become so uncommon. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking about weed, and yeah, you can smell weed from somebody's car, but I can smell a cigarette from somebody's car too. Yeah. Like if somebody's smoking just a normal cigarette, two or three cars in front of me, I can smell it. Yeah. Even with the windows like, up. Wow. Yeah. And everybody used to smoke. It's like, how did we deal with this? Like, it's such an intrusive, unusual smell now. Yeah. But anyway, that's just uh, something I was thinking about the other day. I used to eat like right next to people who were smoking. Yeah. You know, I used to go to Cybergs on Graveloid and they, I think for a while they, I don't know if they even had them segregated. You know, like a smoking versus non. I knew a woman. You could get, kind of just do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I knew a woman that on her lunch break, she would eat and smoke at the same time. And she would like take a drag off a cigarette, keep it held in and take a bite of her sandwich and chew it up and then like breathe the smoke out like while the food was in her mouth. And I was just disgusted. I'm like, how can you do that? That's so disgusting. That's so odd. Yeah. The, yeah. That makes me think of this old clip from Seinfeld where Kramer has a cigarette in his mouth mm-hmm. and he's chugging a beer at the same time. Mm-hmm. And like as he's swallowing and like breathing, he sees little puffs of smoke coming out of his nose and out of his mouth, like from around to the cigarette. It's just, it looks super unpleasant. Yes. Right. Funny. Funny in context of the show. Yeah. Very unpleasant, I'm sure, in reality. Yeah. Additionally, some studies have involved inducing lucid dreams using certain types of drugs and supplements. 
Once a subject has fallen asleep, researchers can detect levels of activity in the prefrontal cortex and other areas of the brain using a device known as an electroencephalogram, or EEG, as I will be referring to it for the rest of the show, during which metal discs are attached to the subject's scalp. An electrooculogram, or EOG, may also be used to track eye movements to determine when the subject enters REM sleep. For some studies, subjects are asked to make specific eye movements while sleeping to signal they are having a lucid dream. EOGs are particularly helpful for detecting these movements. That would be really creepy if you were to say, hey, twitch your eyes to the right three times if you can understand what I'm saying and somebody does it. That's like something out of a horror movie to me. Yeah, that well, that's like something you do for somebody who's in a coma. You know, it's like squeeze my hand if you know i'm here like that's i don't know odd i wonder how often they get a response like that where somebody can actually do what they're being asked to do especially since if like if the body's supposed to be mostly paralyzed during a dream yeah except for your eyes so i guess i guess that tells us how important our eyes are you know i i think that humans rely on eyesight more than any of their other senses but you know, if your eyes stay active during dreams, it probably just, you know, points to the fact that they're even more important than maybe what we give them credit for. Mm-hmm. So are lucid dreams bad for you? The popularity of self-induced lucid dreams has grown in recent years. The most common reasons for inducing lucid dreams include wish fulfillment, overcoming fears and healing. Some studies have also shown a link between inducing lucid dreams and overcoming the fear and distress associated with nightmares. However, there is much debate over whether inducing lucid dreams is beneficial or harmful to mental health. So kind of what we were talking about before. Some researchers argue that creating lucid dreams intentionally blurs the lines between dreaming and reality and that this can have negative implications for one's long-term mental health. Lucid dream therapy has shown to be largely ineffective for some groups, such as people with post-traumatic stress disorder. Some researchers have introduced another problem with lucid dreams. They are potentially disruptive to sleep. Since lucid dreams are associated with heightened levels of brain activity, it has been suggested these dreams can decrease sleep quality and have a negative effect on sleep hygiene. Frequent lucid dreams could potentially restructure the sleeper's sleep-wake cycle, which in turn may affect emotional regulation, memory consolidation, and other aspects of day-to-day life linked to sleep health. Additionally, people with narcolepsy, a sleep disorder characterized by excessive daytime sleepiness and irresistible sleep attacks, are more likely to experience frequent lucid dreams. The study of lucid dreams is fairly new and largely incomplete. More research is needed to better understand these types of dreams and pinpoint why some people are predisposed to more frequent and intense lucid dreams. So how can I learn to have lucid dreams? We'll talk about that after a word from our sponsors. Hey, Cryptique fans, I hope you're enjoying the show. I want you to check out my other podcast, Exploring Evil, where I cover lesser-known serial killers and some with a paranormal twist. If you feel right at home in the darkness, listen to Exploring Evil. Hey, and also feel free to check out my other podcast, Movie House, where my co-host Joe and I discuss all kinds of movies and also movie-related topics. We've been covering a lot of movies lately and getting pretty in-depth, but we're also thinking about branching out into 
concepts and trends in movies and discussing kind of how the industry and entertainment as a whole is going. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, feel free to take a listen anywhere you can find Cryptique or Exploring Evil. That sounds very interesting. I I love to listen, and I don't know a lot about it, but I love listening to podcasts where they talk about uh, themes and different movies and stuff like that. You should do a Nicolas Cage time-traveling shaman episode. All his movies are about conspiracy theories. Yeah. He's trying to show us the way. <laughs> yeah, we we talked a little bit about Nicolas Cage lately. We did um, Willy's Wonderland, mm-hmm. which was a really fun... I think I told you about that one because it's kind of a horror movie. That was pretty fun. And we just randomly quote um, the Wicker Man to each other. Yeah. We, we haven't talked about it because it's just... Everybody knows that movie and it's ridiculous, but... God, Nicolas Cage is just like this bottomless well of wonderful things he's so good there was a podcast i was listening to years ago that was talking about him and talking about kind of the turning point in his career where he went from kind of serious to sort of what he is now mm-hmm. you know and they were t- they were saying it was the rock they said the rock yeah. is the is the movie that turned nicholas cage into the haunting joke he is today <laughs> They're like, if Nicolas Cage is Batman, The Rock is his parents being shot to death in an alley. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we we were talking about doing some kind of discussion stuff because it seems like some of the episodes where we talk more about that, like we talked about how ridiculous The Lighthouse was. Yeah. So like one of the things we talked about just personally lately that we figured maybe we should do an episode on is No Time to Die, the new Bond movie that's coming out like... Friday, I want to say, because um, <clears throat> it looked very much like it was going to be one of these woke new age, like you know, where they just make the woman better than the man, kind of for the sake of itself things. And from everything I've seen, that's not actually what it is. Yeah. That's kind of a failure in marketing. But we we're going to kind of talk about that trend, you know, like why, like why does Ripley work in Aliens, but you know, Ray doesn't work in Star Wars. Like, what are the differences between these characters that that do well versus ones that don't that kind of seem to be going for the same thing where it's, you know, a strong female lead or whatever? I mean, that's... It's kind of a contentious topic, that. But... Yeah. I don't know. I feel like... I mean, there's definitely an audience for it if you go on YouTube. Well, I feel like Bond is for men. It is, yeah. It would be ridiculous to try to make him anything other than what he's supposed to be. Um, I mean, I'm a. I read all the books, all the Ian Fleming ones, anyway. Uh, I've seen all the movies. I could totally see them doing a female spinoff. Yeah, that's that is what I hope they're doing. How to Lucid Dream. Triggering lucid dreams can be fairly easy with the right methods. Those who are inexperienced with these phenomena 
may be able to induce a lucid dream for themselves through the following means. Optimize your bedroom for sleeping. Practicing good sleep hygiene can help to ensure a healthy sleep-wake cycle, including a sufficient amount of REM sleep when lucid dreams are most likely to occur. Make sure the bedroom temperature is comfortable. 65 degrees Fahrenheit is widely considered to be the ideal sleep temperature, but it's a little chilly. You should also keep the room dark and relatively quiet. So I think that's probably good advice for just sleep in general, not just inducing lucid dreams. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so they're suggesting reality testing which is what we talked about earlier, where you wake up and tell yourself you're awake, but you're going to wake up in your dream or whatever. In a dream, the environment may look different, but there will be inconsistencies and distortions compared to reality. By performing these reality checks several times per day, you may acquire the ability to test your reality during dreams. Try the mild and WBTB methods. For the mnemonic induction of lucid dreams technique, wake up after sleeping for five hours. Use an alarm if needed and tell yourself to remember your dreaming once you've fallen asleep. So we talked about that one earlier. And then they also suggest the wake back to bed technique. And that's the one where you wake up and stay awake for 30 to 120 minutes before returning to sleep. Yeah, that one's pretty rough. Yeah. That would take somebody really dedicated to trying to have this experience. Absolutely. Keep a record of your dreams. Every morning, write down everything you remember about your dreams in a journal. And I did that for about a month. And that can be kind of disheartening. You know, like, I don't know, like I would wake up and I'd write like four sentences. And I'd be like thinking to myself, wow, the dream was so much more than that. But these are the four things I remember. Hmm. I did a dream journal as well uh, a couple years ago, and I really enjoyed it, actually. I I found that if I went to bed with the intention of remembering and writing down my dream, I had a dream that I remembered mm-hmm. every time. Like, it, it made me excited to go to bed, you know, kind of like what I was talking about before, where maybe border on addiction. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I wasn't going to bed earlier than I should have, but I was like, oh. I'm I'm interested to see what's going to happen tonight. Yeah. Cuz it seemed like if I went to bed with the intention of, you know, I've got the dream journal right here, pen, everything's ready to go, you know, I'd wake up, write something down, and uh I would just I would have a dream. It's this weird thing. Like I, it's kind of in my mind it's sort of related to like if I write something down, I never have to look it up. Yeah. For some reason I just remember more when I write something down. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Well, it's your eyes seeing it and not just your ears hearing it. It's also your hand writing it. You know, it's different senses that you're using to create that memory or that suggestion. Yeah. All right. So apparently there's lucid dream inducing devices. So that's interesting. Uh, Sleep masks, headbands. And they produce noises, flashing lights, vibrations, and other cues that act as auditory, visual, and or tactile stimuli. Sounds great, right? Mm-hmm. Until you realize Wonderful. they're 200 bucks. 
Well, it sounds terrible to me to wear something to bed yeah. that I'm not used to wearing. I mean, even just wearing my Apple Watch to bed a couple times to let it track my sleep was really odd feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just part of my routine. When you're getting ready for bed, I take my watch off. Mm-hmm. You know, shoes off, watch off, whatever else, you know. And yeah, I, I can't imagine sleeping with a device, especially knowing that it's going to do stuff to screw with me in the mm-hmm. middle of the night. It's going to flash lights at me or, or do whatever. Especially since you know that the government created it to suck your dreams from your brain and send them to CIA Disney. or the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Yep. So it's uh disheartening to, to wear such a device. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a buddy who wears a sleep apnea, um, I don't not know a mask. They do he, he had a machine, and his wife made him sleep in a different room because mm-hmm. well, she said it was like sleeping with Darth Vader. Just the breathing, though. Right? But then he got this thing that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He got this thing that makes his jaw protrude. Oh yeah, and uh, kind of like uh, Bubba from Forrest Gump. Kind of got that kind of look to him going on because we we went on a camping trip recently, and. He woke up and he came out looking like that. And it's like, what is wrong with you? And then he pulled this thing out. And it's like, why did you walk around with that for a while? Because he did. He like <laughs> went about some of his morning routine with that thing and like walking around in front of all of us. And we're like, what's wrong with That's him? That's pretty funny. Just wanted to <laughs> mess just, with you guys. I don't know. Yeah. He either did that or, or he was just like for, forgot, forgot about it. In, yeah. But it looks so weird. It's like, I don't know how you can forget you have something that's making you do that. All right, so another suggestion, which you guys will love, is to experiment with gaming. Some studies have shown a link between playing video games and frequency and control of lucid dreams. This is especially true of interactive video games. So on one hand, you shouldn't use the, well, you shouldn't play the games like right before you're going to bed, but just playing them apparently has been linked to lucid dreaming. And maybe that's because it's a more creative kind of activity. Mm-hmm. I've I've argued that before with people. You know, when people are like, oh, I don't I don't think video games are worth my time. Yeah. It's like, well, what do you do then? You watch reruns of Reba? Do you make podcasts? Like it's a lot more <laughs> Yeah. But it's a lot more uh interactive and stimulating to play a game, especially something, you know, open world and really interactive like The Witcher Three or something like that where you Constantly have to make decisions about how you're going to prioritize what you're doing, what you're going to say to people, you know, how you're going to interact with your environment Mm -hmm. and the people you come into contact with. I feel like there's a lot of mental benefits to that. So I could see how that would, you know, have and maybe it heightens that uh, cortical activity. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's still a little bit more heightened when you go to bed, you know, than when you're just reading a book or watching TV or, you know. Mm-hmm. hanging out, sitting on your porch, watching the sunset or whatever you're doing. Well, this next one, um, I hate to break it to you, but this is going to be my Christmas present to you. It's a transcranial direct current stimulation, which painlessly applies electrical currents to different areas of the brain and certain types of medications. Mm, boy. You going to use it? Mm. Maybe <laughs> yeah, we can 
we can do it depends on the how show. painless Dep- <laughs> <laughs> yeah we can just set up a, a microphone in my bedroom and just you can hear me yell damn in the middle of yeah. the night when it turns out to not be painless <laughs> just like just like kim she can get a taste of it i wonder how bad that would be for you to get the electrical stimulation you know like in the future yeah, yeah in the future would they be like oh they were shen- they were like shocking their brains a little bit to have these yeah. weird dreams like isn't that strange you know the way we used to believe in like the humors and using leeches and stuff like that in medical treatments it's like what an odd thing to do and it's not that different than i know that most people that would use one of these devices wouldn't probably see it this way because there's a stigma on drugs but this is not a whole lot different than a shaman, you know, drinking um, ayahuasca to have a vision. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're doing something to alter your brain chemistry in order to have an experience. Yeah. So this is a little less and more extreme, kind of at the same time, because the resulting experience is less extreme. Mm-hmm but it's much less natural. Mm -hmm. There's little scientific research to demonstrate the effectiveness of these methods. So do it at your own risk. Yeah. Shock your brain. It's probably, probably fine. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, we should add in here a disclaimer. We're not giving medical advice, right? Yeah. Shock your brain is not official medical advice. We are not responsible for what you do. If you do shock your brain or use one of these devices. Absolutely. So we, we warned you. Well, these techniques are also only conducted in controlled clinical laboratory settings and should never be attempted by an individual unless under the supervision of a doctor or another credentialed medical or psychological professional. So there's our second disclaimer. Mm. Don't try and make your own, guys. Yeah. As your body progresses through the four stages of the sleep cycle, it transitions through different biological processes that affect your temperature, your breathing, your cells, and your muscles. All the while, your brain is busy forming, organizing, and storing memories. Over time, not getting enough sleep and cycling through the four stages as you should can cause health issues and difficulty with the following. Learning and focusing, being creative, making rational decisions, solving problems, recalling memories or information, and controlling your emotions or behaviors. So that's kind of like the back end of a uh, big pharma commercial, right? I mean, that's the side effects. Mm -hmm. Except way less, except way less extreme than most pharmaceuticals. There's always, you know, a woman rollerblading with a poodle or something. And it's like, this may cause you to vomit uncontrollably and... I don't know. What what is it, Jeff Foxworthy joked about anal seepage yeah. or something for like a weight loss pill and stuff? Yes. Like the, the side effects are horrific. Death is often one of them. Right. But then it's like, oh, but you can, you know, paint a birdhouse with your granddaughter. Now you can go paddle boarding. <laughs> Everything is paddle boarding now. Yeah. Pay attention. You'll see it. Everybody's paddle boarding. <laughs> mm-hmm. And farmers markets. It's important not just to get seven to nine hours of sleep per night, but to ensure it's uninterrupted quality sleep that allows your body to benefit from each of these four stages. 
It's worth noting that while most people report dreaming in color, roughly 12% of people claim to only dream in black and white. In studies where dreamers have been awakened and asked to select colors from a chart that match those in their dreams, soft pastel colors are the most frequently chosen. I pretty much only dream in black and white. There's been a few cases where there's been a flash of color here or there, but almost always fully black and white. Hmm. That's really interesting. I I think I dream in color. I don't recall dreaming in black and white. I don't yeah, I don't recall the colors being any really any different than normal everyday life. So I don't really have the pastel colors, but I also don't have black and white. I I remember reading a long time ago that people who grew up with a black and white TV were more likely to dream in black and white. I don't know if that's grasping at straws or, or not. I don't know, you know, what their methodology was for that study. Yeah. But I mean, I just thought that was an know. interesting fact. I mean, I just assumed that everybody dreamed in black and white, but yeah, that's interesting. It's there are certain things that we do, like stuff we do in the bathroom, the way we sleep, maybe the way we get dressed. That's like, I, I guess there are things that people don't really like teach us. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about a lot. So you don't realize when people do things way differently than you, mm-hmm. you know, like um, I have a friend who puts on her right sock and right shoe mm-hmm. before she puts on her left sock or left shoe. Mm-hmm. And she, she sound, I accused her of being a sociopath when she told me that <laughs> because that sounds so strange, but it's like, yeah, I guess nobody ever taught me that you put on, she's like, I do right foot and then left foot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I do this garment and then that garment. Yeah. You know, both are, are fine, but yeah, you just don't learn like, Oh, that's different from the way I do it. Cause I don't talk about how I do it. Yeah. In the following scenarios, Ryan and I will discuss dreams and their interpretations. These interpretations are presented as theories and should in no way be taken as medical or life advice. There are so many, you can, you can type in dream about, and then insert a topic and you'll find a hundred different interpretations of each one. Uh, You do find some that are more frequent. Uh, You'll find that some of them repeat a lot, but you will find just tons of interpretations of dreams. So you had a dream about a city, uh, Tim Burton type city, I think you said. You want to tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, it it kind of reminded me of God. I, I'm trying to kind of come up with like where it was like, what it was like. So I'll I'll bring up a city nobody's ever heard of, probably that would be listening to this. But I I think the town is called Savannah in Illinois. If I'm thinking of the right place, it's a town I passed through on a road trip. And the only claim to fame I know that town to have is that Frank Fritz from, um, God, what is that show Three's called? Company? No. <laughs> from, uh, American Pickers on the History Channel. Okay. Has a bar there. But it's this small town that's right along the side of a river. So, like, you know, it's kind of got this sort of hilliness to it and everything's kind of focused down towards this river but it's a much bigger city like what i dreamt of you know Mm -hmm. it was very 
unusual for a dream for me in that it had such a unique look to it that it was this large city that seemed to be old you know think like boston where a lot of the stuff there is you know 100 200 years old mm-hmm. but it's all along the side of this river it's very gothic in the style of architecture and the layout of everything like clearly not built for modern traffic or modern cars and it was just kind of a mundane dream but in a really odd sort of extraordinary location it was myself my fiance a couple of our friends were all in this strange place just hanging out and doing our our thing there wasn't really anything that unusual that happened until there was some kind of superhero activity in it it was just this random kind of thing that like oh yeah in this town there are also you know like masked vigilantes like you see Mm -hmm. in, in dc comics in particular more so than the marvel type and it was just one of those things where it's like yep this sounds right you know i (laughs) travel a bit and cities have weird things and this one has like superheroes and it looks like a tim burton movie for some reason and it's just one that stuck out as having these odd characteristics to it that nothing was going on because usually my dreams are uh let's say objective based there's something i'm trying to do trying to achieve i'm either getting away from something or i'm going after something but this one I was just kind of doing my thing, but it was a completely different setting, you know, otherworldly almost. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so let's tackle that. Um, all right. When you are dreaming of being lost in an unfamiliar city, that symbolizes trouble at work connected to new instructions that you didn't read. Your superiors have probably given you new rules that you didn't have time to read because of the amount of work you have. It is possible that they didn't interest you, but you could have many problems now. Don't be stubborn if you want to keep your job. Does that pretty much nail it? It actually kind of does. That is a little bit insightful. It it wouldn't have been a job as much as the process I'm in with starting a new business. Mm-hmm. So that actually does make sense that I, I might dream of being sort of um, adrift in a very structured yet unfamiliar place in the same way that I've read before. I, I had a friend in high school who talked about, you know, she had this reoccurring dream that she was like in an open field, but she didn't know where she was. You know, she's kind of like lost and didn't know what to do. And I'd read in this really old book that I got from my grandparents that, you know, dreaming of being in a wide open space can kind of be, uh, I think it was something some some sort of message from your subconscious to say that you are sort of lost and without structure or support. Mm-hmm. And it can mean that you need to kind of be closer to the people around you so they can help you through whatever issues you're going through at the time that you're kind of, that you feel isolated by. So I can see that this could kind of be the opposite. You have too much going on, too much around you, and it's unfamiliar and maybe almost a little smothering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. So some questions to help you get the details. You already told us what city you dreamt about, or at least, I don't know. What it's kind of a little bit like. Okay. In terms of its set. Actually, you know what? A better example would probably be Alton. Okay. I think a lot of people know about Alton, Illinois, because uh, there's the Mineral Springs Hotel. Mm -hmm. Which has been covered on Ghost Adventures and I think Ghost Hunters back in the day. 
you know, big ish. Yep. And it's a big ish city. Like it's big for being kind of a small town. It's a sister city to St. Louis, but it just didn't take off the way St. Louis did. And it's all built on this hillside kind of facing this river. It doesn't have the same architecture, but it's a similar sort of structure to what I saw. So what does this city suggest to you on a personal level? And what details of the dream stand out the most? Hmm. These are interesting questions. I didn't read through your notes on this because I wanted to be surprised when we got into this conversation. Uh, what, what struck me about it mm-hmm. was the old time sort of architecture. There was almost nothing that was particularly modern about it. You know, there are certain parts of St. Louis where you can go and it, it doesn't look like anything's really mm-hmm. been touched. You know, everything's kind of still very old school because St. Louis is a pretty old city. Yeah. And I was also struck by how much I liked that. You know, how much I enjoyed being in a place that seemed so out of touch with modern society. Because, and that might reflect some of my personality. I kind of go back and forth between being really into technology and wanting to step back from it. You know, I'll be very into the new iPhone or new features of like a Samsung or whatever laptop or tablet I've got. And then there are points where it's like, I don't want any of that right now. I'm turning everything off. I'm leaving my phone at home. I'm going out for the day and I'm just doing everything analog, you know? Yeah. Maybe that older style. Yeah. And maybe that older style is kind of yearning for a simpler time, at least in terms of like distractions. Well, that makes sense. Try and, unplug a little bit according to my research rapid changes and fast-paced lifestyle Mm. is something that dreaming about a city represents yeah a lively and quick-paced lifestyle perhaps situations in your life are changing rapidly and you're not able to stay up to date with all of the day-to-day events does yeah this is very odd you're like one of those fortune tellers I feel like you're scamming me, but I'm not sure how. (laughs) But yeah, I've been going through a lot of that lately, like a lot of stuff that I'm just not familiar with. You know, I'm ordering equipment and things like that and dealing with people who I've never dealt with before in situations I've never dealt with before. And there are some days where there's not so much going on. I'm on a couple calls a day and then days where I'm out of the house from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And I'm at my meetings or I'm on phone calls like the whole day. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not even just that it's fast paced. It's that it's inconsistent. Yeah. There are some days where I don't have anything scheduled and then I get pulled away. Like, hey, I need you to come up to the construction site right now because we've got these three people here who all need to talk to you. And I don't know when we're going to get them together again. Many people associate going to a city with the goal of looking for new opportunities, and it's very possible that dreaming of a city could mean you have an optimistic and positive outlook for things to change for the better. Yeah. Seems pretty accurate. Yeah, not much to add on that one. So, my dreams, and I call them dreams, I think a lot of people would consider them nightmares, but they often involve alligators. I dream about alligators all the time. I'm scared of alligators, but rationally, you know, like I don't see a picture of an alligator and get anxiety from it or anything like that. But 
you know, I've been to Florida a couple times. I've been, I've, I've swam with manatees and I was concerned, you know, like keeping an eye out for alligators. Like they're going to come and get me in this group of 15 people with these three or four car sized mammals swimming around us. <laughs> um, and then I've had dreams where I was underwater looking up at alligators that were swimming in circles like you often see like shark feeding frenzies where they're swimming in circles i saw alligators like that and Hmm. i never get particularly scared and i don't know if it's that i realize it's a dream or that i have some control of my emotions you know maybe during a lucid dream but i never get really upset or frightened i never like wake up and have a fast heart rate or anything like that and I really don't consider them to be nightmares they're dreams they're just unpleasant dreams so what does it mean Mm. when you get attacked by an alligator in a dream the meaning of an alligator attack in a dream relates to treachery lies betrayal and deceit by some known people in your waking life the dream symbolizes the malicious intentions of others that are overpowering your mental health and well-being Well, you already know about me. Everybody's out to get me. But it's true. Yep. It is true, yeah. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. That's right. (laughs) And that's why we work together well on this show, I think. Like, we were talking about... I mean, we talked about it a bunch of times, because I'm more... I used to be really, really into conspiracies Mm -hmm. and really into paranormal stuff, and there's some stuff that's convinced me. You know, I've mentioned it several times before, I'm sure that I never really believed too much in ghosts Mm -hmm. until I started looking at buying a house that was like 160 years old. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to listen to some people's ghost stories and see what they say about it. That way I can kind of debunk those and be prepared for the things I might encounter. I wound up not buying the house, but I wound up believing in ghosts because that was the result. I, I didn't become a better skeptic. I became a believer. Yeah. You know, there was just too much that couldn't be explained. Even some of the things that I've experienced in my own life or my friends and family have experienced, you know, it was too much to to just put aside. But in a lot of ways, I've become a lot less prone to believing conspiracy theories. And I don't even like the term conspiracy theory because I'm not putting anything down. Mm-hmm. And uh, conspiracy theory is sort of a uh, what I've heard referred to as a thought terminating cliche, I think was what they said kind of a term that's thrown out there to stop you from even taking whatever it is seriously. Yeah. And, and I just right up there by saying they wear tinfoil hats. Yeah. It makes you think that that person's totally insane and not trustworthy in any way. Yeah. Or like we were talking about earlier that, you know, saying that somebody thinks there's microchips in their vaccine mm-hmm. is kind of something that discredits people who may have valid health concerns about taking some kind of, you know, injection, putting something in their body. Uh, So, but a lot of them, I just, I don't buy anymore or I'm much, much more critical of them than I used to be. Whereas before, you know, I I was willing to entertain them and I was really interested in researching them. Like I love going down these rabbit holes and, you know, watching YouTube videos from kind of unusual people who have these, like have clearly put a lot of time and, and thought into it or reading books from people who are like that or articles or whatever. Uh, but I've gotten to a point where 
I really enjoy our conversations because I think I I don't actually know if you buy into it or if you just really like trying to convince me of stuff. No, I buy into it. <laughs> All right. Tell us about the spiritual symbolism of alligators. Okay. Alligators live on both land and in the water. And spiritually, this represents the physical world and the spiritual world. Water represents the subconscious mind and access to the intuition, whereas land represents the conscious mind and logic or rational thought. They're believed to have psychic abilities known as the sixth sense that allows them to perceive the dangers that are lurking nearby. This is the same sixth sense that humans can tap into when connected to their psychic centers and are living in the present moment. This connection gives us our intuition. With these qualities combined, alligators serve as a great metaphor for how the human mind works and is often sent as a spiritual message to communicate what is happening in the psyche. So do you think that's true? I would like to believe that, yes, I have a lot of intuition. Um, I, I can see the points. I don't think it's really a dream analysis, but just the kind of covers the spirituality of, you know, different tribes and different peoples that have uh, seen the alligator and admired it. Whereas most of us, I think, are just scared of it and don't understand it. Mm -hmm. Despite the croc hunters' valiant effort to make us fall in love with them. <laughs> yeah, when you see one of those things like stand all the way up with his belly off the ground, it, it looks like something that should not exist today in, in the modern world. Alligators often show up as a spiritual symbol to warn of destructive thinking patterns and to encourage you and your understanding of the power of your thoughts and imagination in manifesting your reality. Uh, alligators and crocodiles are also a sign of manifesting power. Yes. In Aztec cosmology. Yes, I am <laughs> manifesting power. Go ahead. Tell us about Aztec cosmology. <laughs> in Aztec cosmology, the crocodile known as the... Sepoctli. Sepoctli? Okay, thank you. Symbolized the earth floating in the primeval waters and appears as the symbol of the first calendar day of the Aztec calendar. The Sepoctli symbolized the beginning of the earth and the beginning of all things that are created in the physical realm. The Sepoctli also represented psychic powers, wisdom, and the power of manifestation. The most powerful manifesting tool that we have is the power of the mind, and it is the source of where our reality is created. When dreaming of an alligator, it is often a sign of your manifesting power and the power of your thoughts. People who are creators, thinkers, and manifestors often have dreams with alligators or reptiles in them for this reason. Yeah, that definitely sounds like you. Oh, well, thank you. I was going to say I would love to believe all this stuff is true. It's very positive. And even though I did the notes for this part, uh, I didn't put that in there to make myself look cool or anything. Just kind of how it worked out. <laughs> All right, so I have dreams about being chased. Uh, usually it's by police. And hmm. the reason I think this is is because my friends and I used to go out and we would just walk the streets at night, you know, when we were like 15, 13, maybe 12. Um, we would, you know, sneak out and just walk the streets at night. And we would have, you know, most of the cars that are out at 2 in the morning are police cars. So we would run and, you know, I, I'm hoping that the statute of limitations has run out on this, but um, it was a lot of fun to get them to chase us. And we would jump fences, we would you know, climb trees, we would hide in sewers, we would do all sorts of stuff that was, you know, to us, it was like, oh, 
you, you guys are being ninjas. You're, you know, hopping fences and running and, um, you know, just all kinds of crazy stuff. Hiding in places where you think you would get caught. It's kind of like a thrill seeker type uh, personality, I guess. But yeah. in my dreams where I'm being chased, that's when I have lucidity. Like I will be running as fast as I can, which is faster in my dreams than it is in reality. I will see a fence maybe with a, uh, you know, say it's a eight foot high chain link fence and there's a dumpster pushed up against it. I will, as I'm running towards it, I will consciously think I've got to jump up on that dumpster before I can hop the fence. It'll be faster. And I'll jump up on the dumpster, step on the top of the fence and hop over. And that's what I really remember as far as lucid dreaming goes, is being able to control where I run, how I run, the things that I jump, the things that I hide behind. And it's it's all very, very real when it's happening. So that kind of goes against a lucid dream, I guess. I don't know, but it's it's very real when it's happening and I can have the power to control, you know, where I go. That's interesting because it ties into some of my dreams too. I have a lot of dreams. I, I would say probably most of my dreams for my teenage years and maybe a lot of my twenties were also about being chased mm -hmm. or, or running from something or, or some kind of conflict in a lot of them. And it wouldn't necessarily be police. Actually, I don't think it was ever police. It would be usually monsters or something like that. It might be like vampires, werewolves, you know, I can only assume that they're, you know, things that inhabit my dreams because of TV shows that I watched. You know, I watched a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, the movie and the show and Angel and the, you know, the shows that came from that sort of universe. Like you love Charmed and everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I dream. Yeah, I'm not, you know what? I'm not even getting into that. But yes, Charmed <laughs> was actually one that I did watch a little bit too. Not much. Um, but I remember having dreams. One of the dreams where I could feel I was exploring like these tunnels under my school. There were these, I remember being fascinated as a kid with, uh, you know, certain parts of my school that were fairly old. It was a private Catholic school. And there were parts where, you know, there were these sort of passageways and closets that, that we didn't know what they were for because we were students and we had no business knowing what they were for. But, you know, a lot of them related to like the old radiant heating systems or whatever. Hmm. And I had dreams about exploring those with my friends and we came across vampires. And part of the dream was running away from those vampires. And I remember, I can still remember it fairly vividly, like encountering them and then realizing like, we got to get out of here. And turning to run and trying to climb up this ladder out of this uh, hatch that we had come down and one of them grabbing my leg and biting me. <laughs> and I remember feeling it. And I remember being like, oh God, this can't be good. You know, like, wasn't on the neck, but I'm sure it's not good if it's on my leg either. Yeah. And I've, I've had a lot of dreams like that where I'm trying to get away from something. And sort of unlike your lucidity, where you're able to consciously make decisions about the direction you're going to take and how you're going to evade whatever you're uh, running from, I have some of that, but that's also when my dreams tend to get really weird. You know, like that was when in the Jumanji spider dreams, 
suddenly I can jump super high or I can kind of like wall run like in the Shinobi game on PS2. Mm-hmm. You know, I would just have these odd abilities that would sort of manifest. And I think it probably is some form of lucidity that it's not that I really realize that I'm in a dream, but I start influencing my environment mm-hmm. to achieve my goal, which is to get away. Right. So that's, that's interesting that we have kind of a, a similar thing going on with those. Yeah. I think you sold yourself short about uh, thinking that you didn't have lucid dreams. I think you have them all the time. I, I kind of forgot about that. Or I, I forgot about that aspect of it, that it's when I am running from something or trying to fight something that, mm-hmm. that things get really weird and out of hand. Well, according to the research that I pulled up here, it says if your pursuer again, in a running dream or escape dream, is a mysterious unknown figure. It might represent a childhood experience or past trauma. So is my childhood experience of running from police for fun also a trauma? Hmm. Maybe it's something you miss. I think I do. I know I miss being able to jump over a fence. (laughs) (laughs) I, I remember in high school, I think, uh, being in the main street area in the town that I live in now, because I've lived here a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I stayed here after school and all that. But a friend of mine wasn't feeling very well. My car was down Main Street. And I was like, okay, wait here. I'll run and grab my car and come get you. I'll take you home. Mm-hmm. And I ran like the uh, quarter mile, the half a mile, just ran the whole way. It was getting dark out, and I saw a cop who definitely saw me because they started trying to follow me. Mm-hmm. And just for grins, I started kind of going in and around some of the buildings, like down this alley and then up this way, and just to kind of avoid them. Even though I wasn't doing anything wrong, I can see how, you know, it's nighttime in this small town. There's a kid running like full sprint down Main Street or, or behind some of these buildings. <laughs> What's he doing? Yeah, it's really odd to think about that, that I, yeah, because now, now that I'm thinking about it, I did have quite a few dreams that were like that, where I would have a lot more control, particularly when I was running or when I was in conflict. Ah, yes, fun times. So Kelly from the UK, who suggested this episode, wrote that she dreams about all kinds of birds, so I looked up a couple of random interpretations. According to labexcortex.com, birds are wonderful creatures which convey varying meanings, and the same applies when it comes to dreams about them. Dreaming about birds most of the time carries a positive meaning, but there are also moments when it brings a negative connotation. For instance, a woman having bird dreams can mean that she will soon get married or meet the love of her life if she's single. In dream interpretations where bird dreams are no exception, you must remember every detail including the bird's activity, its type, and even its color, if you dream in color. This is to get a more detailed meaning of the dream. Dreams about birds can symbolize freedom, Dreams about birds can mean freedom in many aspects. Maybe you finally find yourself being free from a toxic relationship. Your freedom could also pertain to your spiritual life and your ability to choose your own beliefs. Dreams about birds can symbolize change. Bird dreams can signify change in your current situation. The dream could mean success, but it could also represent your demise in your waking life. You must do something about it as your fate is up to you. Dreams about birds can symbolize prosperity. Dreaming about birds foretells good wealth and abundance in the future. 
It does not necessarily pertain to money, though. Instead, it could mean that you will be prosperous in achieving your ultimate goal, whether that involves your finances or not. I hope that was helpful, Kelly, and thanks for listening to Cryptique. And a huge thank you to all you crypt keepers out there. We appreciate the support and hope you tell all your friends about Cryptique. Don't forget to subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and write a review. If you've had a lucid dream and want to share, email us at cryptiquepodcast at gmail.com and share your story. If you haven't already, check out Movie Howl and Exploring Evil on your favorite podcast platform. I also offer editing, mastering, sound effects, and original music if you want to start your own podcast on Anchor. Good night and sweet dreams. Thanks for listening to Cryptique. Behold, Behold, the mystery of the cosmos. The system is alive! That's right, that's right, that's right.